Well, good morning. It is good to have you here and worshiping with us here at Ivy Creek, and we are glad uh, to be able to be here this morning to gather around the table of the Lord. And as we do, um, I'll ask you the same question I asked the first service. Any of you ever forgotten anything? I mean, have you been in the middle of doing something or some place when suddenly like this ton of brick just falls on you and suddenly you remember, I was supposed to be somewhere else doing something else. Has that ever happened to you? Many of you in this room witnessed it happen to me not too long ago when I was supposed to have a baptism and uh, it was between the services and, and as I am prone to do, I got to talking and to engaging and I got into the middle of a conversation out there in the foyer and Will came to the end of, of the first song, which is where our cue is for me to walk down behind. And, and he's, bless his heart, he's there and he's expecting me. And I'm back in the back, just talking like crazy. And, and suddenly, that face right over there, Ted, appears through one of those glass panes. And he's looking at me and he goes, If you've ever had that happen, you know kind of the panic that hits you at that moment. It's that, it's that, that sense of, oh no, I have messed everything up. And, and, and it spins you a little bit out of, out of control a little bit. If you've ever had that happen, you can identify with me. But, but here's what I would say. If you have had that happen, honestly, I would suggest to you that, that the greater danger that you and I face is not forgetting something that we were supposed to have done that we did not do. In fact, I would even say the greater danger in our lives is not forgetting something that, that we're supposed to do this week that we fail to, to take care of. No, I would say to you that the greatest danger that you and I face is forgetting something that has already happened. As is obvious to us, we're gathering around the table of the Lord this morning and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper Together, And it's one of the only two ordinances that are given to the church. The first one I've already referred to, it's, it's baptism. Baptism is designed to be something the way that it was instituted according to Scripture as, as something that is done once in the life of a believer following one's profession of faith in Christ and they come to the waters to make a, per, a, a personal testimony to the world that they have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus and they follow through in, in obedient believers' baptism. That, that's the first ordinance to be done once. But then the second ordinance of the church is what we come to celebrate this morning. And it is, it is the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And this is to be done repeatedly throughout the life of a believer. Regularly observed as both a means of, of an outward testimony, but also as a means of inward remembrance. In fact, I've always found it interesting that when instituting the Lord's Supper, Jesus said to His disciples twice, He says, do this in remembrance of me. Now honestly, those words sort of chill me. And they chill me because it makes me think, is it really possible that I might forget? Is it possible that I might forget what Jesus has done for me on the cross? Is it really possible that I might revert back to an old way of living? To an old set of customs? 
to, to old ways that, that I used to once live in before I came to know Christ? Is it truly possible that I might forget Jesus and slide back into those ways? I believe Jesus' command telling us to do this in remembrance of Him drives us to ask ourselves that question. And it, and it also drives us to really consider why we come around the table of the Lord. We do so primarily to remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. If you've got your Bibles, you may already have them open to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is going to be our text this morning. And I want us to read about the context of what Paul writes to the church in Corinth with regards specifically to the observance of the Lord's Supper. And in regards to the Lord's Supper, what we learn is, is that we, there's some necessary implications that arise from the reminder of what Jesus instituted first. And so let's begin there in 1 Corinthians 11. I want to read from verse 17 all the way down through the end of the chapter. Follow along with me in your word that you have in front of you. Paul writes, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it. And He said, Take, eat, this is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest, I will set in order when I come. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father, we are so grateful for your goodness and your mercy and your love for us. Demonstrated by your sending your son Jesus to die on a cross in our place so that we might have eternal life. 
we might be forgiven of our sins, that our relationship with you might be mended and we might be redeemed from the power of hell and from Satan's grasp. Therefore, all we have to boast about, all we have to brag about is you. You are our faithful one. You are the one who redeems our lives from the pit. You are the one who saves us. So this morning, as we come to you, before you, we do so asking for you to speak to us through your Holy Word, allow your Holy Spirit to, to move in our hearts and our lives and to remind us of the great sacrifice of our Savior, but also to drive us to a place of repentance. We might live obedient lives for your glory and for your honor, I pray in Christ's name. Based upon the context that I just read for you with regard to the Lord's Supper, it says that what should be clear to us is that eating of the Lord's Supper was something that was regularly done by the early church, particularly by the church in Corinth. And, and we know that by the number of times that Paul talks about them coming together. You see it three times, verse 17, verse 18, and again in verse 20. He talks about the occasion of them coming together to eat together. He, he says that he expects them to do it even more after this letter because he refers to future events in verses 33 and 34 of them coming together. And in every one of those events, the issue surrounds them uh, participating and partaking of the Lord's Supper. But what is immediately clear is that when they met together, not everything was as it should have been. Um, in fact, some things were just downright wrong with regard to their attitudes and with regard to their actions and their procedures. And therefore, Paul sets out to provide correction and to provide instruction with how the church was to behave. Now remember, it was not Paul who had instituted the Lord's Supper. It was Jesus Himself who instituted the Lord's Supper on the night before He was crucified. And it was, it was done within the context of celebrating the Passover meal. All the Jews every year would come together to, to celebrate the Passover, which was a, a meal that was designed to point those Jews back to the fact that God had delivered His people out of Egyptian slavery and bondage. And on the night before He was crucified, Jesus and His disciples came together to be able to, to, to celebrate that Passover meal. But in doing so, He transformed the meaning of that meal into a celebration of an infinitely greater deliverance that He had come to bring. You see, while the Passover meal was, was celebrated a, a temporary and a, a physical deliverance of the Jews from Egypt, the Lord Jesus, He inaugurated a celebration of a more permanent and a, and a spiritual deliverance, not from, not from physical bondage, but from spiritual bondage of sin and death. And that was for those who would place their faith in Him. And therefore, the Lord's Supper is, is celebrated to remind us of the cross upon which Jesus suffered and upon which He died in order to absorb God's holy wrath against sin. Thereby, that... By dying in our place, He secured our pardon. And as such, the Lord's Supper is a meal that is intended to unite believers together in a common bond of faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. In fact, that's the first word that I want you to know. I've given it to you in your outline in your bulletin. You'll find there's a word there. The first word is, is simply unity. When we come together around this table, we should be reminded that we are to be unified. 
We're to be unified in our declaration that because of our sinfulness, none of us are worthy of God's grace and mercy. But because of what Jesus has done, because of His substitutionary atonement, because of the fact that He bore the full weight of our sin upon His own shoulders, then that's what it took for us to be made right with God. So we don't come to this table boasting. We don't come to this table throwing our chest out as if there's something that we want others to look at us about. No, we come to this table only boasting in Jesus Christ, only boasting in what He has done for us. However, according to what we've just read, that's not exactly what was taking place in Corinth. In fact, Paul was not happy with what he had been told was occurring there. In fact, he says in verse 17, he says, I do not praise you since you come together not for better but for the worse. What was happening? Well, what Paul had learned was that there was a great divide in the people. There was a schism. There was argumentation that was taking place. Literally, there was dissension within the church. And in fact, based upon what Paul writes in this letter, the Corinthians were having a hard time getting along with one another. In fact, you get right after the first couple of verses of the, of the entry, of the, of the introduction to this book, you'll find that Paul says this in, in chapter 1, verse 10. He says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, that there are contentions among you. So the overall context of the book of of 1 Corinthians is is built upon the fact that it was a church that was divided, a church that was arguing, a church of which there were factions and dissensions. And specifically, as we get to chapter 11 and we talk about celebrating the Lord's Supper, it was manifesting itself directly in the the context of how the church body came together to to observe the Lord's Supper. From what we learn... The meal was, the Lord's Supper itself was something that was always done at the end of a, of a greater meal. They, they would meet together to eat. It was called the love feast. And they would meet together regularly to partake of the food. And, and many of the, the more wealthy Corinthians would bring uh, food because they had the ability to do so. And, and many of the poorer ones didn't have anything that they could bring. But they came together unified for the fact that they were going to eat together. And then after the, the main meal, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But what was happening? is that many of those who brought the food and they brought the drink, they brought the wine, they were partaking and gorging themselves so that those who didn't have anything to eat or who were late coming, they got nothing to eat and they left hungry both spiritually and physically. And according to verse 20, Paul tells them that they had so perverted the celebration of the Lord's Supper that it had become a mockery. In fact, he tells them when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. Effectively, Paul tells them, you may be breaking the bread and passing the cup. You may be repeating the words of Jesus, but what you are doing has nothing to do with the ordinance of the Lord that he instituted. Christ has no part in it. Evidently, what was was taking place was was enough. Paul says, if you think that you're going to get praise from me, in verse 22, you're not going to get any praise. You're dead wrong. You're not going to get my approval. Now, if as I said earlier that the Lord's Supper is about remembrance, then the first thing that we need to remember is that all of us 
who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are unified in this one thing, that there is not a one of us in this room who is worthy to receive an invitation to this meal. Not a one of us. There is not one of us that can throw our chest out, not one of us that can brag about the things that we have done that have made us acceptable before God. There's not a one, one in this room that is acceptable before God on their own. And that's what excludes boasting in ourselves. And it ought to exclude self-importance. And it ought, to, it ought to exclude selfish pride. As we come to this table, we must be mindful of the fact that we are only here because of the grace of God. Consequently, we must also remember that because of His grace, there is no place for factions. There is no place for dissension, particularly as it pertains to the Lord's Son. Now, with that as the context, Paul then moves on to discuss the importance of the elements of the Lord's Supper. Beginning in verse 23. And one of my favorite descriptions about what Paul writes in these verses is what John MacArthur has written. He writes this, he says, These verses are like a diamond dropped in a muddy road. He says, One of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture is given in the midst of a strong rebuke of worldly, carnal, selfish, and insensitive attitudes and behavior. Isn't that amazing? Most of the time when we come to the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11 is often read and, and, and quoted, but we start at verse 23 and we end at verse 26. But what we need to recognize is that that beautiful passage there about the partaking of the bread and the cup is centered in the middle of this church that was just wildly disobedient to God. It's a beautiful diamond dropped in the middle of a muddy road. What's even more amazing to me is that Paul reminds these Corinthian believers of the historical setting of the Lord's Supper. He says it came on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And here, once more, we see a beautiful jewel against a filthy backdrop. You see, the most beautiful and the most meaningful of Christian celebrations was instituted on the very night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed and arrested. Right in the middle of Satan's absolute worst attack, which culminated in the condemnation of the Son of God on the cross, God, in the middle of that taking place, accomplished His absolute best through our Lord's sacrifice for the redemption of sinners on the cross. And I want you to notice what Paul says regarding what Jesus did. He, he says that He took the bread and, and when He had given thanks, which by the way in the Greek is the Greek word Eucharisto, which we get the word Eucharist from, which many Christians refer to the Lord's Supper as communion or as the Eucharist. Says that he broke it and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, I've said this many, many times, and some of you will smile at me and some of you will look at me like I've never said it before. But if the Lord gives me the opportunity to continue preaching, I'm going to say it many, many more times. And this is what I would tell you prepositions are some of the most important words in Scripture. And the reason why prepositions are so important is because theology hangs on prepositions. And I want to prove that to you by this statement. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken 
for you. There's the prepositional phrase. What that means is, is that what Christ endured, He endured for you. What He went through, He went through for you. His death, He died for you. Everything that He did, He did for you and He did for me. We are the beneficiaries of what He went through. And what that means is that Christ died as our substitute. He gave His body for us. As sinners, you and I deserve to die. None of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve eternal life. Instead, because we are sinners, we deserve death. However, Christ gave Himself in our place as our substitute. He willingly endured the cross so that we might have life. Christ's body and His blood, which meant death for Him, actually means life for you and for me. This is our only hope, and it's an amazing hope that we have. And there is no other hope that any of us have for eternal life save that it comes through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then next, Paul reminds the Corinthians of what Christ said. He said, in the same manner, He also took the cup after, su after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in My blood. This do as often as you drink it, and here's another prepositional phrase, in remembrance of me. It's used twice to be remembered, for, for us to remember Jesus. Christ tells us that we are to partake of the bread in remembrance. And so that's the second word. The second word there is remembrance. As I said earlier, one of the primary reasons that Christ instituted this meal was as a reminder to us because you and I are so prone to forget. Unfortunately, we're like these Corinthians. We're prone to division. We're prone to dissension that comes from horizontally measuring ourselves against one another. Do you realize that that's where dissensions come from? Do you realize that's where arguments come from? It's when we begin to compare ourselves one to another horizontally and we begin to think, well, I don't like what she's doing because he doesn't like what I'm doing and this person over here doesn't. And that's where dissensions and arguments come from. And what the, the table of the Lord it brings us together as believers to sit there and go, we're not to compare ourselves horizontally. We're to look to Him. And when we look to Him, we realize that all of us are deficient. None of us have any ground upon which we can stand. And if we were trying to build our own kingdoms and stand on our own two feet, every last one of us would spend an eternity in hell. That's what the Scriptures say. So we come to remember what Jesus Christ has done. We're prone to believing that we can make our own salvation. The Bible says it's not possible. Right here in the middle of the muddy, filthy backdrop of our lives, we are reminded of what is the most beautiful jewel in all the universe. That the Lord Jesus gave Himself up for us in death that we might have life. But that's still not all. It's not just a reminder to us of what we have experienced and what we've been able to, to, to have given to us by God's grace. But notice verse 26. Jesus said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He, come. Paul, till he comes. Paul writes this. And that leads me to the third word that I have listed for you there. It's proclamation. Proclamation. You see, the unified body of believers gathering together to remember what Christ has done actually enables us to proclaim Christ and the good news that what He's done for us, He'll do for others. 
Our unified remembrance of Christ's death and resurrection proclaims to others that our hope is, only, is their only hope as well. And by partaking of this meal, we openly testify to the fact that we are not ashamed of our Lord or of His blood. We proclaim that we belong to Christ and that we are obedient to Him. And furthermore, what I want you to note is that participation and the proclamation of the Lord's Supper is a declaration that, that He will one day return again. He will one day come through those eastern skies. And He will one day come back and receive us to Himself that where He is, there we may be also. And that's why we proclaim the Lord's death when? Till He comes. Therefore, the Lord's Supper is not simply a reminder of what Christ has done. It is a reminder of what He's promised that He will do. So brothers and sisters, what we remind ourselves of and what we are to proclaim to the onlooking world is the good news. It's the good news of our salvation. But we must also understand that such good news must be accepted soberly and with serious contemplation on our parts. In fact, the following verses from verse 27 down through verse 34 really highlight for us the fourth word that I want you to see. It's the word examination. Paul tells these Corinthian believers that they were to examine themselves before they partake of the Lord's Supper. Verses 27, he said, Whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. In verse 29, he says, Whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Therefore, he says in verse 28, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In other words, before we partake of the bread and the cup, we are to give ourselves a thorough self-examination looking honestly at our hearts and at our motives and our attitudes toward the Lord, toward the people that God has placed in our lives, toward the communion service itself. You see, what that tells us is that this supper is not only a proclamation to others, it is a proclamation to our own lives to be made right with God. What what Paul tells the, the Corinthian church here, we must understand that the Lord's Supper is a place for the body of Christ to come together that it might be purified. It is a place that brings us back to a recognition of our unworthiness, which should remove all forms of pride and, and attitudes of superiority. And it also points us to the one who gave himself for us and provides us with our only hope for salvation. And as such, we must examine ourselves and in repentance, we must turn to Him in obedience to the one who died in our place. So, if we consider this diamond, if we consider this most beautiful jewel in all of the universe and, and take all the points that, that Paul has made clear to us in these passages, then we will come to our sermon in a sentence today, which is this. The Lord's Supper is a holy meal that unites the body of Christ, reminds us of our Lord's atoning sacrifice, proclaims that good news to others, and invites us to be made right with God through self-examination. If that is your confession this morning, then you're invited to this table. But before we come, I want us to spend some time in self-examination.
Keith's going to play. We're just going to stay right where we are. You can bow your head and close your eyes and contemplate what this meaning of this moment is and what Jesus has done for you. And you can contemplate the fact that the invitation to participate in this, in this Lord's Supper is something that came not because you earned it, but because God is gracious to you in sending His Son. Ask the Lord to bring conviction into your heart right now and that He has promised that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Take some time.